0: What is crack lack, and Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dampa Valley coming at you once more without my fantabulous co host, Adam Frommel. We're going to continue plowing through our look ahead podcast. The Toronto Raptors are next up on our docket. I am super excited, as always, to be joined by Yasmin Duale, who covers the NBA for the Dishes and Dimes podcast. She also writes for Yahoo Sports and the Toronto Star. She had a newsletter, the Neon Playbook, which was, or she has a newsletter. It's fantastic. She said she's going to try and reboot it up during the regular season. Follow her work at Carmelo Drama, at C A R M E L O D R A M A. She's a great writer, great follow on Twitter. So go check her out. Before we get started, though, just the usual housekeeping notes. Please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts, downloading every episode as well. If you're a first time listener, because you want to hear, about the Toronto Raptors, or you stumbled upon us on accident, consider giving us that permanent subscription. We are a pleasantly sub-mediocre basketball podcast that covers the entire NBA at large. We ask everyone too, regardless of whether you use iTunes, to head over to iTunes if you have access to it. Search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that fire-star rating. Write a review. Both help us out a ton on the charts. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. You can also follow us on YouTube. Go to YouTube.com. Search Hardwood Knox, subscribe to our channel, and we are on Instagram as well, at Hardwood underscore Knox. With all of those notes now out of the way, let's dig deep into the Toronto Raptors with Yasmin Duale. Yasmin, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk more Toronto Raptors with me, who are one of my siren songs entering the season. I just For the past few years, I haven't been able to quit them. But first and foremost, how the hell are you doing?
1: I'm well, thanks for having me. I'm always down to talk Raptors.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, and there is a lot of talk about with the Raptors, and I kind of just wanted to start. Do you have any just, you know, heading into the regular season, are you thinking about any themes, thoughts, just anything from the Raptors offseason, maybe even, you know, Goran Dragic, just anything at all as we head into the regular season that still stands out to you?
1: Um, I'm actually quite positive about Goran. Like, obviously, <laughs> um, he, uh, um, I think he... Um, touched at something uh, traumatic for Raptors fans when he made those comments about um, not really wanting to be here or, you know, I, I, it, I feel like um, I, I want to just believe that it was caught up in translation or something because I'm pretty right. sure it was not english <laughs> uh, But um, I actually love the idea of him, you know, being that veteran for the second unit, which is like very youthful this year for the Raptors Um Usually their second units tend to be more seasoned, have a couple uh years of G League play under their belt, but they have uh guys like Scotty and Delano and uh Precious, just guys who have maybe not had enough um who haven't really um had significant NBA playing time yet. So mm-hmm. um having a guy like Dragic, uh with playoff experience, who's um, you know, uh, great traditional point guard, um you know, he. I think what separates him from Larry is that he may not have the defensive capabilities, but offensively, the gap isn't that, that huge between them, in my opinion. But, um, you know, I, I actually am positive about Drogic. Um, I'm really excited to see um, ba- uh, Scotty, um, how mm-hmm. he translates into the NBA. And um, I think that the most um, exciting theme for a lot of people has been um, OG finally having, you know, the space to... Um, use what he's um accumulated over the years all the skills that he's been quietly building and working on um i think that with pascal healing from his surgery his shoulder surgery um og will have just a prime opportunity to kind of eat up a little bit of usage and get used to the lead role because um in order for the raptors to be successful this year he's going to have to be the lead scorer alongside pascal so um i think that'll be the most exciting theme um for the first month or so of the season before uh, Siakam gets back.
0: Yeah, you you were the one that I think believe retweeted into my timeline a video that the Raptors posted, and I had a fan myself after watching OG hit a turnaround <laughs> step-back jumper. And so is that like the type of self-discovery we can expect to see from OG Ananobi on offense? And just to listeners who might not realize this from last season, like he did – broaden his offensive game last year just when you're looking at Definitely. him putting the ball on the floor seemed like there were more just directionality to his drives even quicker decisions as a passer but if he's going to test out stuff like that i might end up watching like 82 raptors games this year
1: yeah and um it might seem like a, a sh- like a shocking leap for some people but og's just been quietly um working and perfecting just like his base level skills for so long now for a few years now um just working on his shooting he's become just a really solid um, catch and shooter already. He's um, he's already an excellent defender. Um, he started to um, the last two years, I'd say he was working on his self creation. Um, so the natural progression for him was just to improve his handle. And once he does that, it kind of just acts as the glue to kind of bring cohesiveness to all the skills that he already's been kind of um, working on. So um, you know, Raptors fans have been saying for a while that like you know Pascal needs that. That wing creator who can just mm-hmm. kind of self create to act as kind of like a re- release valve uh, when things aren't working. Norman Powell satisfied that to like a degree, but I think that um, OG, being, you know, uh, his size, um, the versatility in his skill set, um, and, you know, th- th- just other aspects that he brings can be an even more. Um, ideal partner to that, um, offensive duo. So I'm just really excited to see him kind of just have the opportunity to just finally do it because once, um, Norm was traded, I think he went on to average, um, 19 points per game or around that. So I think he's, he has like the capability. So just to see it in action in a normal setting for, um, a season in Toronto will be really exciting for fans.
0: I still don't, and I'm not one that's just going to root for players being on bargain contracts, but I don't know how they got him
1: for (laughs) $72
0: million. I don't, it still doesn't compute to me. Um, That is going to end up being one of the most team-friendliest deals in the NBA, I think, over the next few years. So is there a timeline for Siakam's return uh, from his left shoulder injury, surgery? And while this isn't scientific, I think one, well, this is scientific. People clearly underrated the year he had last year even though it wasn't great by his standards like his aside from just if you look at the perimeter shooting like there was still a lot to like about his game and a lot of the efficiency rebounded the non-scientific part of this for me is that the vibes around him just seem better this season and so between that and the raptors playing again in toronto once he is healthy do you expect this to be sort of a i don't want to say bounce back year but more of a universally appreciated year from pascal siakam
1: yeah, I think so. I think that the expectation um for the upcoming season is different. Like I you know, if you if you um look at the expectations that have been um put on him from, you know, being the second lead scorer alongside Kawhi Leonard on a championship as, like aspiring team, then the next season is the championship defense and then you know, the next season after that is like um trying to pick up the pieces after um, you know, that bubble um run. Mm against the Celtics so you know it's just a series of really high pressure moments for a guy who's just trying to um I think find his identity as a um as a, a lead or co-lead scorer on a team so um, I think people are just excited to see him in a in a norm, more normal environment um on a younger team that might be more catered to what a 27 year old um you know um you know uh former all-star should be um expected to accomplish on a team um you know those championship aspirations can be in the future but right now I think that he should be allowed to um develop as a leader all of the all of the other things that we kind of give grace to other um all-stars to accomplish I think fans are like kind of just willing to extend that to him now and um -hmm. I think he spoke a little bit about um how uh, his lingering shoulder injury was just kind of hindering him the last season, affecting his left-handed dribble. Uh, it affected how he was able to move on the court. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it had a bit of an impact on his shooting. Um, so I, I, I can't wait to see him play at full health. Um, uh, and I, I'm really excited to see how he um how he does as a you know now he's a, among the veterans on the team one of the among the older players on the team i think only um drogic would be older than him or uh chem rather Kem and drogic the only older players were whereas he was always the baby of the team so it's going to be a very interesting dynamic now um and I, I can't wait to see it i can't wait to see how him and fred fill out that role
0: yeah and so i you we mentioned you you already mentioned how OG will have to definitely pick up offensive slack when you're looking at Siakam's injury and then Dragic, I think you were right. He naturally repra- replaced a lot of what Kyle Lowry does on offense. You really you won't feel it till you get on defense. But Fred Van Fleet early on, I'm assuming, is just gonna have to be like the most important offensive player for him. And while I would be more inclined to pick OG as a most improved candidate, I feel like Fred Van Fleet's name gets floated in that conversation. Oh yeah. Every, every year. What what does he need to do? Better to one be the number one option in Siakam's absence effectively, and and two to actually actualize this most improved player chatter. That again, he is always garnering at least over like the past three years or whatever it's been.
1: Yeah, um, Fred, like it's interesting because he does have his limitations that we you know or we acknowledge of you know his finishing, his size. Like these are things that um he has to work to overcome but like the thing about fred is that he somehow always finds a way (laughs) he always finds a way like he will have like i'm pretty sure he had like a 50 point game before and you know he he always finds a way to um become whatever the team needs at any given moment which is like a very larry-esque trait um Mm -hmm. so I, i i can't wait to see how he um figures out what he's needed to be on this team for um next season and how he becomes that uh because weirdly enough I don't doubt that he'll figure it out somehow and he'll figure out how to keep the team afloat while things line up for them so um I think it's just going to be a matter of um him being more of a shooting guard than a point guard I wouldn't be surprised if the um playmaking uh burden was kind of more evenly distributed throughout the team and that fred was just asked to be a scorer because i think that he is a better scorer than he is a a pure point guard so um, i think that's the reason why um people were kind of confused as to why nick nurse mentioned that dragic could possibly be starting alongside um fred and i would not be surprised if that happens in the beginning of the season um so that Draja can be the point guard and Fred can be the shooting guard, which is like a really good dynamic that was between him and um, Larry. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know how Fred will take it because I know that he thinks of himself as a point guard, Um, but I think they're they're really going to need him to score, which he's 100% capable of doing and which would honestly um, end up helping his um, most improved player, uh, uh, you know, the chatter around that because his um the surface level points per game and all that would be more, you know, it would be bolstered by um him taking on that role.
0: Is When you watch him, do you see hope for him to become like a better finisher as someone who shot 38% on drives last <laughs> year and has always been kind of just iffy in that area of the game?
1: Um, hmm. I think it ultimately comes down to him figuring out how to navigate the pick and roll as a ball handler and honestly as a pocket passer a little better okay. um he, i find that his his game on the perimeter um is really good like i think that the, some of fred's most iconic plays is coming off the screen on the perimeter uh he just has his ability to just square himself to the basket really quickly and get off a shot um without having it you know blocked or um contested in any way but something about him getting to the basket just a lot of a lot of you could see the gears moving in his head i think he overthinks it mm-hmm. um and i think that uh, when it comes to fred he doesn't really have i always mentioned that he doesn't have the athleticism um I, I think that he's a little more um injury prone in that sense um but for fred i think it will come down to how he navigates how his relationship with the big in that scenario and also um, his ability to absorb contact because I don't think he's going to get the lift that Lowry does at that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I don't think he'll get the, uh, the, sh- the, um, the shake or the ability to create distance or uh, space between him and the trailing defender, like a Kyrie or something. But I think that if Fred becomes a guy who can just take a hit <laughs> and somehow finish it, <laughs> um, he'll, he'll have a little more success as a finisher. But I think that his future is just honestly uh uh improving his mid-range um Mm. which i think was causing a lot of the issue with the finishing he really uh did improve that aspect of his game but people would not respect his um shot as a a mid-range shooter not because he couldn't make it but because he wouldn't take that shot um so the defender will be lingering under the basket which you know was just ultimately uh, asking for a block um, so uh, I think that, um, uh, improving his ability to withstand, uh, the blows uh, around the basket and also to, um, take those mid-range shots will ease it up. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see the, uh, work that he did the last season in, um, uh, improving his mid-range shot, show up on scouting reports and, uh, allow him to create a little bit of distance on his way to the basket as well.
0: Yeah, he did. And he looked like he just improved his off-the-dribble shooting game in general last year, which I think that's this team needs that, especially with – I don't – that's like Dragic can do that, but he definitely – I know Kyle Lowry had a down year last year, but I I still think Lowry was more of a threat to do stuff like that. I feel like I buried the lead to start this podcast, though. Um, The Raptors' offseason was weird in some – I ended up just because I'm higher on the roster in general, the fact that they kept Masai, I just defaulted to, you know what? That's fine. I didn't love how the Kyle Lowry chain events played out from the trade deadline on, Mm. but you kept Masai. That's huge. However, the the Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs selection, how did you feel about that? And I know he's endeared himself to the fan base since he seems like (laughs) one of the best personalities to come out of the draft. But I think Nick Nurse mentioned that, they're going to give him as many minutes as possible. So do you actually think that he's going to get, you know, real license to to make mistakes and a ton of leeway with this team in year one?
1: Um, I don't know if they have any other choice. <laughs> <I think laughs> out of necessity, he will be getting those minutes. Um, and one thing I noticed about Scotty is that he's a, he's the type of guy who's, who's going to be doing whatever it takes to just simply win. I don't think he's concerned about, how he'll look as a rookie about um, first team, all rookie about rookie of the year sort of things. I think he's just concerned about winning as a team. It's just a common thing. He's always mentioning. He has not once mentioned those other aspirations. Like we've heard Jalen green talk about his rookie of the year aspiration. Like Scottie is just simply concerned with having this team win basketball games, um, which I think is so important um, in a rookie and, um, I honestly I take some credit for the huge turnaround, like the 180 that the fan base did <laughs> after draft day, because I uh me and Sean Woodley immediately recorded um on Locked On Raptors and we were just kind of I I was talking him off uh, the cliff and just telling the fan base that um I think that they're going to end up loving this pick. And um it sort of does make sense for the direction that the team has been discussing um in terms of just um filling their roster with versatile wings and versatile small floors. I think it's um, the Raptors are just hoarding those type of uh, players who can just kind of play all positions, do a little bit of everything. And if they can't shoot, they can't shoot. If there's one thing that the Toronto Raptors can do is turn somebody into a decent shooter. Like they have a pretty good resume at that sort of thing. So um, if you have a player like Scotty, who is, uh, has an amazing personality, uh, which is so important, um, in terms of a lottery pick who's expected to lead a roster in the future. Um, when you talk about his uh, defensive capabilities, um, his ability as a playmaker at his size, a ball handler at his size, uh, the shooting thing kind of just seems like a a drop in the bucket. And um, judging by what him and uh, Nick Nurse have said, it's something that they've already begun tweaking over the off season. And I'm excited to see how it looks in comparison to his... Um, in comparison to his um film in college um and uh you know it, it's funny because i didn't hear I, I was covering march madness and i didn't hear much scotty barnes talk until um quite close to the draft that's when i think the word was scotty barnes and it's no surprise because he was going to these workouts and the con- the draft combine and whatnot and um it, Scouts were seeing this guy and how just his he had this contagious personality. He had this endless um uh source of energy and people just wanted him on their team. So um it's no surprise to me that the Raptors ended up going with him and um I'm I, I'm just really excited to see how he translates um into NBA basketball because this guy was nineteen, not a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and yep. he's bigger than Oji Ananobi. Um, so it's i I just um wanna see how he um gets around like i i remember how awkward it was for og being young being like six seven or whatever like 230 or something <laughs> so i just want to see if we have like that same baby deer effect or if Scotty's <laughs> more used to it
0: yeah he i didn't watch really any film from him in college and so in summer league i was it took me aback at how fluent he seemed or comfortable working off the dribble and changing directions and i could see dudes bouncing off of him if he ever
1: Yeah, that um, was, was a surprising thing. I went to summer league and i was just shocked by how this guy would just put his head down and dribble straight to the basket, which is kind of um something that, you know, a 6-9 guy would kind of avoid just because of how high the dribble is and you kind of get um uh nervous about that sort of thing, but his, he, his ability to just use his speed, his size and be willing to use it to his advantage off the rip was just really impressive.
0: Do you still view? I mean, the Raptors are clearly trying to set a record for the to house the most players between six seven and six nine on their team. <laughs> uh, do you still last year? And it's something as someone who just loves smaller lineups, I never would have. I, I didn't think the need for a center was as drastic. But the constant refrain was, "Oh, they need a true center. They need to get bigger." And they proceeded this off season to not acquire a true center or get really bigger. And so, do you still view that as a weakness on this team? Was it an overblown weakness to begin with? Uh, I think
1: I think it's both. <laughs> it's a weakness, <laughs> but I think it's overblown as well. Um, I think that when you talk about the need for a true center, like you're talking about Embiid. You're talking about Jokic. You're talking about the top centers in the NBA that you'll have to watch out for. Um, and I think that the Raptors have shown that um, they can deal with those guys with their six, seven, six, nine players, you know, um, OG Ananobi, I think he's among the best, um, Jokic defenders in the NBA right now. Um, I think that they, they believe that if they're willing to minimize the other four threats on the court, it'll kind of, you know, make, it'll kind of increase the difficulty for the center, especially the ones that rely on passing, like Jokic, the one thing about the Jokic game, I think it was the last game that the Raptors played against um, the uh, Nuggets was that um, Jokic would ro- because Jokic had uh, OG on him he would rely on uh, kicking out the ball like he'd try and draw the attention and kick it out but he just had so many guys on the court with like seven two wingspans <laughs> that they're just passing lane steals every other possession so um, I think that um, there's no perfect defense you know what I mean like there's always going to be the Achilles heel for every defensive scheme, for every defensive, um, lineup that you throw out there. Like if there's a big on the court, he can be exposed by, uh, uh a pick and roll dominant point guard or a point guard that can really work the perimeter. If you put, um, like there's just so many, there are weaknesses. There's weaknesses to zone defense. Um, yeah. you leave yourself, uh, exposed in certain areas of the court. So I think that they real, they, I think they've concluded that this is the one with the least amount of, um, um you know, um, in the armor.
0: Do you, is this like a, I mean, you know how I feel about Chris Boucher, obviously having been on this podcast before, is there a chance that he ends up sort of playing a smaller role to Kem Birch if he doesn't get more disciplined on the defensive end. And I think Nick nurse kind of talked about, they want him to be less, you know, chaotic on that side of the floor. (laughs) Or is he, this team's, you know, for, I don't want to, I don't want to ascribe positions to anyone on this team. Or, or is Chris Boucher just their best option at center?
1: Um, I think they've shown um, like a willingness to play him at power forward. Um, So I'm gonna. I think it uh, all ends up relying on how Scotty is used. So uh, how Scotty is used is going to have a bit of a domino effect about the depth at the four for the Raptors. Uh, So I think that um, depending on that, if they're thin at the four then I think that uh, we're going to see Boucher play perhaps alongside Kem for some lineups. So, um, I, I, I don't think anyone is promised minutes, um, on this team (laughs) to an extent. I don't think there are any lineup promises. Um, I, I think that Nick nurse will truly spend the whole season just figuring out what looks best. So, um, you know we're going to see they i i think they broke records last season for the amount of lineup versatility that they threw out there uh, obviously out of necessity towards the end of the season but um uh, yeah i don't i don't think anyone is promised minutes and i think that with chris Boucher, um i honestly thought he was going to be traded uh, in the offseason um just because he's outperformed his value so much and that i think that they could have gotten a great return for him um so i don't think that they're going to be Um, compromising that increase in value they've gotten from Chris Boucher. So I think just out of that, they're going to put him on the court to shoot to, you know, um, you can catapult those uh, threes into the hoop. So uh, I think that he's just going to, he's still going to be a major player um, heading into next season. Uh,
0: Yeah. And it it really might not matter who plays, you know, center for the Raptors because OG just might end up guarding the fives anyway, as happened so much last season. So I I understand that Uh, you mentioned no one's guaranteed minutes so, uh, do you expect Precious Achua to get a crack at the rotation, or is he just very much kind of potentially an afterthought on this team? Um,
1: I, I think I, I just read a, um, a quote just before we started recording that where Nick Nurse said that he'll be in the thick of things immediately, <laughs> uh, and that's no surprise because um, when I was uh, watching those summer league games um precious is um he I, people don't talk about it he, he he might have had like i think a lack of opportunity um playing on the heat and perhaps um maybe they weren't um asking of him what he was capable of doing but i think on this team he'll just be allowed to be himself and that is a guy who can really um fill in the gaps mm-hmm. on the offense which is like such an underrated skill i think it's how um Pascal Siakam kind of showed up on the radar um in that early 2018 season um uh, where uh, just just a guy who takes advantage of people looking at the other um, names on the court, you know what I mean. So, um, I think that he showed just an ability to catch and stretch, head straight for the hoop while the other team is still um, mentally adjusting to what is happening right now. So, um, I think that uh, Nick Nurse sees value in that. So, I'm, I'm I, I can't wait to see uh, Precious. I, I I feel like he's going to be a fan favorite very quickly.
0: <laughs> what type of role could we expect Malachi Flynn to play in year two? Um.
1: Hmm. I think that he's going to have a big role, especially if Drogic ends up um, starting alongside uh, Fred and Gary Tran Jr. comes off the bench. Malachi is going to be leading a second unit in that case. Um, and I think that, you know, he, he still has, um, I think he still needs to improve his shooting, but he's... Um, I, I rarely see Malachi make the wrong pass. He's someone who can really be molded into like a traditional point guard. I, I see like a very solid, dependable um, six man in like as his future. So I think that they're going to really lean, lean into that and allow him to take a bit of a leadership role um, with the bench. Even if Dragic ends up coming off the bench, I think that Malachi would be a major player regardless.
0: And so you view him as someone who has like the playmaking chops to lead. Potentially second units as the primary ball handler.
1: Yeah, I do actually. Yeah, um, I feel like if, if he does end up leading the bench units, it would be in a the playmaking burden would be heavier than the scoring burden for him. So I, I do think that he's capable, especially alongside someone like Scotty, someone like Precious, uh, even Utah. Like uh, he's going to be um, alongside guys who have varying degrees of playmaking ability, but none of them are minus on that end. So, um, I feel like when you have a dynamic like that, um, it can be a more egalitarian second unit, and that he can be allowed to thrive in that sort of situation because the pressure will be not as heavy, but it would still be there to allow him to develop in that sense,
0: did you don't want to not do enough last year, show enough last year to kind of be viewed as like a regular member of of this rotation to not be looped into the you know the question I sent you like. Oh, who has better longer term impact or is more intriguing for this team when you look at Shvi McKay, Luke, Freddie G, etc.
1: Uh yeah, I think that um Utah is very um he's very uh defensively disciplined, which I think is something that coaches love. Um you could tell just the chat about him. From uh, coaching, from other players, they adore Utah. He's very dependable on the court, and I think that his skill set—he, uh, I believe—he's a decent or a reliable uh, corner three shooter. Um, he is a high IQ defender. He makes the correct reads. He's just like a great wing to have um, mm-hmm. as like an eighth man on the court. Um, and I think that he's—he's uh, he's like a the, the vital type of player that I think that. Um, a lot of developing rosters need. You just need that solid wing piece because you don't want to have to have holes on those aspects of the roster, especially when you're trying to um develop a lottery pick or develop um uh someone like Malachi or, you know, I just I feel like it would have without having Utah it would have added holes to the roster that would have been they just would have spent the whole season trying to um rearrange and um supplement and i mm. think that he uh, he uh eases a lot of those worries
0: he and i know he's 6'9 but he seems to just defend bigger than that too like when he's on the perimeter, yeah. his presence just feels so huge and he does feel like he keeps the ball moving on on offense as well so i i like him a bunch when you look at sort of the either fringe rotation or fringe roster guys is there anyone specifically that intrigues you looking at the freddie g's isak Bangus, fee makai luke's etc
1: um, yeah, I think I'm going to say Delano Batten, who they drafted um, in the second round this offseason. Um, not only because he's um, from my uh, childhood neighborhood, but <laughs> uh, it's nice having a hometown kid on the team. But also the fact that he's a six nine point guard is very intriguing. I saw him play at Summer League and um, he is... I, I, you know, sometimes when someone is six nine, they're calling you a point guard. I'm going to say, you know, there, there's a, the definition of the term is obviously being used loosely. But no, this guy's like literally a point guard on the court. Um, and I think that he's going to get a lot of run with the Raptors nine oh five. So I'm really excited to see how he develops in that system. I'm going to have to catch a couple of nine oh five games to see, um, how that goes. Um, but yeah, like. Uh, if if it works out, that is um, a very very interesting player archetype to have on the roster.
0: Yeah, and they seem to really believe in him. I know there are questions about his jumper, just based off how he shot from three in college and at the foul line. But they gave mm-hmm. him a partial guarantee in year two, which I don't know if that's like super rare for someone who was drafted forty. What was he forty six, forty seven around there? Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it was yeah towards the end there.
0: Uh, but I that I, it didn't stun me because, hey, he's 6'9", and the Raptors are just collecting those guys. Like, <laughs> cards, but... You're
1: in. If you're 6'9", you're in. <laughs> so,
0: so what's so uh, both interesting and maddening about this team is, I don't want to frame it as what's the direction, but what makes them so hard to project is they don't feel like a team that's going to settle for the middle this year, whereas if it just looks like they're not a top-four team in the East, you could see them sort of steering out, of any real postseason positioning is is that the the energy around the team? Are they just committed to this is a hey, not a rebuilding year, but we're we're more concerned with the bigger picture and player development than we are at even making the the playoffs? Or do you think that they're entering with the mindset of we want to see what we have here because we do think that we have the potential to finish, you know, closer to the top of the East than a lot of people expect?
1: Um I think it's a bit of both. I think that they think that the potential of this current roster is far more than what people are expecting. And I also think that they are looking at the bigger picture. So perhaps they can crack the top, you know, five or so, the Eastern Conference, Um, you know, playing in Toronto, I think, will boost them more than people can imagine. I don't think people realize how um, impactful playing in Tampa was not just from the um, no fans aspect, but you know, you're not in your training facility. You're not, you're not used to the amenities that you were, you know, yeah, they on the road for years. For exactly. year. Like that's what yeah. happens. Um, and you know what we expect of road games, like, you know, if the team loses, you're like, Oh, but they were on the road. So, um, you know, um I think that uh, people are underestimating the impact that would have on them for the season. But also, um, I think that the bigger picture is something that um, Masai was really emphasizing at at his press conference. He really believes in the core of this uh, roster. And I I think that he even compared it to like 2014 Raptors, where um, this is a team whose direction was in question. Okay. and he kind of just let Larry and DeRozan Cook see what kind of culture they could develop. I think that Masai is going to take a bit of a hands-off approach in the season. I'm not expecting major trades is what I mean. Right. Um, so I think he's going to see, like can these guys find those personalities, find that spark, build that uh, new culture that they're going to need because, you know, the the We the North era has kind of winded down with the absence of Larry now. So um, I think he's going to allow them to just find their own identity for a bit Um, and take it from there, maybe heading into the season after the next. So, um, yeah, I'm not expecting any major changes. I'm not expecting any major pressure. I'm not expecting any huge pivot into tanking again or anything like that. Um, You know, if they're out of the playoffs, I don't think they're going to make a concerted effort to lose every game after that.
0: What is the, when you look at this roster, what stands out to you as sort of their biggest functional weakness right now, whether it's if you're looking at a specific position or if it's just a, you know, a, a player archetype type deal?
1: Um, you know, maybe a Kyle, a Kyle Lowry type, (laughs) Um, you know, if they could, if they could like nab a 28 year old Kyle Lowry, that would have been, I would have had this team penciled in for the finals. But, um, yeah, I think that the weakness would perhaps be that seasoned, um, yeah, that seasoned all-star caliber player which you know Pascal can very well become that in the next couple years but I think as it stands right now if they just had another guy alongside him this is a team that I would have had um you know as eastern conference finals um that would have been like their aspiration in my opinion if they have just a a player who was perhaps at the two guard position who could just act as um uh, that offensive release valve be someone that can just bring some dynamic um, dynamic uh, spacing to the court so um, I think that that's what they're missing right now I think that the the issue heading into next season or the the concern for Nick Nurse will be um, is this ca- how can we make um how can we maximize the offensive tools we have here without relying every night on having the opposition score 70, you know, because that's not sustainable in today's NBA.
0: Yeah, and it's like, I don't even know if it would need to be like a star guy. It just feels like they're no, the a little shot creator short of being like really Like CJ
1: McCollum would have just been ad- adequate, I think, you know, like nothing crazy. Yeah,
0: and t- I mean, like maybe Gary Trent Jr. or Scotty Barnes, even OG Ananobi kind of surprises you in that regard, but it seems mm-hmm, like they're mm-hmm. that type of player short. Uh, You mentioned you don't expect any major trades, which I actually think makes it easier to project their over-under when we get there, but if you had to pick a player right now that's most likely to be dealt, who would it be?
1: Um, I'd say uh, if Gary Trent has a great run heading into the um, trade deadline, I think that he's a candidate as well as, um, because I feel like Gary Trent's uh, contract, I forgot what it was. I think it was like a three-year 50 million or something like that. Uh, I think It's, it's a set player up option to, on
0: year three because clutch sports yeah. are very good at negotiating contracts. <laughs> um,
1: I, I think that um, if he beat, like, if he came guns blazing when he was traded to the Raptors. He was literally breaking plus-minus records. Like, <laughs> he was, like, people were like, did we just trade for, like, Zach Levine or something? Uh, I think that if he has a run where he's just, it's, that shot is going down um, where he is fi- figuring out how to finish and he just looks really good. I think that he's going to be a major candidate to be traded. Um, I think that Chris Boucher is my number one though. Um, just yeah, because he's, he's just outperformed his contract so much. Um, and I think that he's a type of player that a lot of teams would just love to have like a, a you know, a, almost seven footer who can shoot the ball at like i think now we can call chris boucher a shooter (laughs) yeah i I gave it a couple years but i think that he's just like great shooter like he has the unique form and everything and i feel like he has a lot of use on a bunch of rosters
0: yeah look uh among all raptors players last year who played at least 500 minutes chris boucher led the raptors in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers (laughs) that's my chris boucher not
1: surprising that passes the eye test too he was not missing
0: uh, so what do you think should be their go-to uh, crunch time lineup in close games?
1: Hmm. Uh, I think there are a lot of variables that can affect this. Like how, um, how like who they're playing against, how Scotty <laughs> looks like there are a lot, but I think that um, I think my ideal of uh, just as it stands, closing lineup would be at, at, at full health would be OG, Pascal, Dragic, Freddie, and, um, I'm gonna say Scotty because I want him to get those reps. But I think that's a lineup that kind of gives you a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I think that all the players on the court are um, intelligent enough and um, quick, quick on their feet enough to make up for any defensive leakages on the part of like Dragic. I think Dragic will also bring some um, offensive um, stability on the court. He can, you know, run pick and roll with OG with Pascal. Like there's a lot of variations possible there. Um, I think that, yeah, I think that that would be my, and I think that the reps for uh, Scotty would be great too. So I think that there's um, ample shooting defense and um, just uh, brain on the court at that
0: time. Yeah, that's, and it's definitely matchup based. I will, the, the question I really had is how many of those tight crunch time units will Scotty Barnes be involved in, which also just might be telltale of how invested they are in the bigger picture over just right. winning yeah. games. Let's say you're Nick nurse. What is the lineup that you need to roll out the quirkiest out of left field, <laughs> wonky lineup you can think of?
1: Hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like a three point guard lineup this year, <laughs> we've seen the two point guard ones. I wouldn't be surprised if there was perhaps a time against the smaller team, maybe, maybe against, um, I want to say, like, the Bulls. I feel like the Bulls have a lot of guards. I think, mean, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they fielded lineups of, like, Lonzo, DeRozan, and Levine at once or something. Yeah, DeRozan's um, going to end
0: up playing some power forward for them, probably.
1: Perhaps, so. yeah, yeah. Um, I think that against a, a, a correct type of team, I wouldn't be surprised if he saw Freddie Dragic and Malachi, or Freddie Dragic and um, Gary Trent on the court with, like, another two uh, forwards.
0: Mine would be, and I think it's uh, maybe it's partly morbid curiosity, but I feel like they almost have to try this to at some point. Would you need to go with like the the all six nine lineup? Oh yeah, let's,
1: yeah. How can I Let's get it? Siakam,
0: Precious Chuchua, uh Utah, have OG on there, and then Scotty. Like that. I don't know what that offense that looks like. Kind it of might perfect. be. Yeah, I need to <laughs> that, see that, that
1: lineup has everything. They have playmaking, defense, shooting. Like that. I, that could be very, very fascinating. Uh,
0: so. As of when we're recording this, their win total over under is set at 36.5. Are you would you take the over under on that and where do you see them largely stacking up relative to the rest of the East?
1: Hmm, I'm going to take a look right now at what last season's record was because I feel like that will influence you could tell I was um, not paying attention last season to the exact win loss record.
0: Yeah, I mean, towards the down the stretch of the season for them, it got pretty rough. And thirty six point five almost I checked out. super low for that's them insane. to me. Like this would be one of my best bets, but I feel like I'm too high on the Raptors because of how easy it is for me to smash that over.
1: Okay, yeah, so I think last uh season, uh okay, so twenty-seven fifty forty-five, uh shortened season, seventy two game season. It was a struggle. It was a struggle. Um I it was um they somehow won twenty seven games last season, playing, you know, some of the worst basketball <laughs> I've ever seen. Like with the with the top players on the rotation just absent for the last month or two.
0: Yeah, they weren't so, trying to win and still were at a 31-win pace overall.
1: Yeah, so I think I would not I, – I honestly, I'd give the over-under. I, I, I would say that my prediction would be for an 82-game season, I don't see them losing um, – I don't see them winning any less than 40, in my opinion. This uh, is a 40-plus think- win team,
0: I think. It's funny that I guess I'm higher on the Raptors than you are at this point. <laughs> like we're, are you thinking they're like seven, eight in the East at this point then?
1: Yeah, I think what complicates it is um, how the absence of Siakam affects them in the beginning, how much bit. they experiment as well, how, you know, you know, do they just pivot to let the young guns like, do whatever they want on the court, get their feet wet for the season. Like, I, I don't know what their uh, philosophical approach will be to the season, which can impact it, but, you know, the, the Raptors, you always bet the over on the Raptors, always. <laughs> like the last, what, uh, eight years, you bet the over, <laughs>
0: I have not gone through like my official win totals yet for the podcast that we record here but the as of right now when I was doing like the cursory to put it together I have the Raptors in fourth or fifth in the east for me this year. I think because I the Siakam injury maybe I'm not waiting um like waiting it heavily enough because I is there I don't like even know when he's expected to come, return but based off the way that they can play defense on paper anyway, it feels like they're built to really overachieve during the regular season you know what mm. happens offensively in the postseason is a different story altogether but when you look at this roster if they get relatively good health i feel like it's one that wins a lot more games than people are projecting
1: those are my favorite kind of seasons the overachieving you know um you know the the no no national TV games and overachieving is my favorite combination, but I I have a question. What is your uh, win-loss projection for, like, the, or I guess what's your seeding projection for the Knicks?
0: Oh, for the Knicks? So I Mm -hmm. have the Knicks right now in play-in territory. Um, Really? I I don't see how the defensive success holds when they, I do, I I respect what they did, leaning into shot creation, but you lost your most important perimeter defender in Reggie Bullock. You leaned very heavily into shot creation to now where RJ Barrett is probably going to have to guard the opposition's best wing, or we're talking Evan Fournier, Alec Burks at that point, which will be probably a disaster. They got super lucky on opponent three point shooting last year. And maybe the base defense around the rim should still be good, especially when Mitch gets healthy. But I, I don't know. There's Julius Randle was so good last year. And you have to think even with more room, I would expect his efficiency to fall. So as of right now, the teams I have in front of them are The Raptors, the Celtics, the Nets, and the Bucks. obviously. The Sixers, and did I say the Hawks yet? So I have six or seven teams in front of them at the moment.
1: Oh, okay. So not even the Bulls are in that round too.
0: I am so unbelievably low on the Bulls. (laughs)
1: Me too, me too.
0: (laughs) I tend to think DeMar DeRozan is underappreciated now, and I could not envision a worse fit for him at the moment than Chicago.
1: Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how um, a lot of the the overachievers of last year translate into the upcoming season. Because I always say, for every um, every projection you have, there's going to be like three teams that just, it doesn't work. Like there's always right. something, you know, there's always that one or two, there, I'm going to say one or two teams, not three teams, but one or two teams that everyone expected to just amaze end up falling completely flat. It happens every season. So I'm interested to see which teams those are this year.
0: And there's, in the East specifically, when you look at kind of Boston, Washington, Indiana, Charlotte, and I think you definitely throw Toronto in there. And then you can throw Chicago because they have a bunch of really good players. Like a couple of those teams are are going to pop if they get, when you look at the Celtics, Washington and Indiana, Toronto specifically, better health than they did last year. And so it just feels like the middle of the Eastern Conference is So I think aside from Brooklyn and Milwaukee, you could tell me, Unless it's you know, unless you told me it was Detroit, Cleveland, or Orlando, you can tell me any other team finishes third and I, I would probably believe you.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's what it's looking like. Yeah.
0: Is there anyone or anything related to this Raptors squad that I did not ask you about that you think needs to be covered?
1: I think we discussed literally every aspect of the organization.
0: <laughs> uh not a lot of Gary Trent Jr. talk, I guess.
1: Oh no, yeah. I mentioned his contract, but that's about it. Um, yeah. I I like Gary. Gary's Gary's
0: great. <laughs> he, I, I, I actually love Gary Trent Jr. I'm, I'm just curious to see how good he. Like, is there any more layers to his, to his offensive game than? Yeah. we already? I actually. I, I, to, please go sorry, ahead.
1: Sorry, go
0: ahead. I was just gonna say I think he's underrated defensively too, and <clears> the contract <throat> amount didn't. You know, I didn't bat an eyelash at it. I'm just like, you know, you really only have two years of him now because if he plays up to par in this contract, that puts you in a weird position. And I think, you know, your point about maybe he plays his way onto the trade block is especially salient now when you just look at that contract structure.
1: Oh yeah. And I think that his age helps. Like he's just, he's just kind of built to be a tradable contract right now, but um, yeah, I like, I like Gary. I'm interested to see if he makes any um, effort to improve with his finishing. That was one of the critiques people had um, with the upcoming season. Like, is he going to, you know, rely on the flashy baseline turnaround fadeaway or something, but, or, or is he going to use the opportunity to, um you know get to the rim so um the rockers just need as many players as possible attempting to get to the rim so i'm interested to see if he takes on that um responsibility
0: he is a rare player as you mentioned that's younger than expected i think there's a lot of players you look at and you forget how old they actually are and then Mm -hmm. it's it's like oh he's 22 uh his biggest flaw to me though is that he's not 6'9 it's only (laughs) 6'5
1: change that gary
0: Um, Yasmin, can you please let our listeners know where they can follow you on social media and and check out your work?
1: Uh, Yeah, at Carmelo Drama on Twitter. Um, I think the upcoming season, I'm going to be covering a lot more Raptors. I think it was more wider NBA for the last season, but heading into next season, I'm going to be covering the Raptors regularly in a column for Yahoo Sports Canada. So be sure to check that out. Um, And yeah, Dishes and Dimes as well. Every Monday morning.
0: That's a great podcast. And seriously, juice that follower account at Carmelo Drama because your former yes. account, I mean, you're the same fantastic follow, but that's just a that's a social media tragedy, tragedy that it was permanently suspended. So Carmelo Drama, spelled exactly as it sounds. Yasmin, as always, thank you so much for coming on and indulging my Raptors questions. And I'm sure, as you know now, I will be pestering you again in the future.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me.